Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me here at the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. Today, we have a really exciting episode for you. I am just personally very excited about this. We are speaking with the Executive Director, uh, Dan Hostetler, of Above and Beyond Family Recovery Center in Chicago. And I'll get to why I'm so excited in a second, but this is just one of my favorite centers in the country. So just a a lot to talk about here. Uh, The Recovery Executive Podcast, for those of you who are maybe joining us for the first time, is a podcast that's focused on the business end of the recovery and behavioral health space. I personally started this podcast uh, several months ago now because what I saw is there were a lot of great clinical programs out there. A lot of people had their heart in the right place, but they were very poor operationally. They just didn't know how to run a business very much to the detriment of their staff, their clients, and their potential clients. In this space, we have to run good clinical operations as well as good business operations if we want to grow and help more people. So because I saw that need, I started this podcast, and uh, I hope everyone's listening is finding it helpful. We're always looking for feedback, so please let us know. This podcast is brought to you by Circle Social, uh, experts in strategic marketing and growth for addiction treatment and behavioral health care firms. Okay, so jumping in, we're speaking with Dan, and just a little bit of background above and beyond Recovery Center. They are in Chicago, Illinois. They're located downtown, and they are a nonprofit. Uh, They are primarily funded by donors, and they work with just the homeless and low-income populations within downtown Chicago. Above and Beyond is the brainchild of Brian Cressy, a Chicago billionaire who basically works in private equity and healthcare and helps large numbers of healthcare companies um, grow and succeed. So he has a lot of experience in this space. What he saw, partly through his own experience with family members struggling with addiction, was that a lot of it was not very effective. He saw a lot of families coming in and out. He didn't see a lot of treatment being successful in the approaches that they were using. And so he also felt that there was nothing for people of you know, low income or homeless that just didn't have the money. So he decided to personally fund Above and Beyond Recovery about two years ago. And why I love it so much is it's, it's frankly one of the best treatment centers in the country. It is amazing what happens there. I got involved about a year ago. And every time I go... From the time before, I will meet people that are just coming in, and literally three months later, they will be on track to a better life. I mean, these are people that have struggled with crack addiction for 20, 30 years. They have spent their entire lives in and out of jail. They have never really had a stable home. And Above and Beyond Recovery Center is incredibly evidence-based and outcomes-driven and gets results. They have a huge array of programming, and one of their keys to success, as we'll talk about with Dan, is that they don't just focus on addiction treatment, but they focus on life skills, job skills, finding people housing, finding people employment, um, helping people understand purpose and meaning in their lives, how to interact with family, how to love themselves. All this stuff that is often missing from traditional treatment programs, they have incorporated there, and it works. So I just am so happy to share their story with you today because it is an amazing program. You can check them out anytime they're open. Just walk into Chicago, give Dan a call. He'll give you his contact information at the end of the podcast here. Check out their website. It's A-N-B, the letters, A-N-B dot today and schedule a visit. I highly encourage you to do so. It's just a great organization with a lot of great people that's getting really good results. So with that, let's talk to Dan. Thanks for taking some time to sit down with me. I know it's always hard to get you pinned down so much going on here, but why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do here at Above and Beyond. Okay. Um, Well, my name is Dan Hosteller. I'm the executive director here. 
So my responsibilities are uh, everything that really happens between the front door and the back door, um, and uh, including fiscally and organizationally and clinically. So that's my function here. So can you tell me, so I've been to be honest, fairly new, right? You guys are just two to three years old. Can you tell us how you first got involved and what brought you to Above and Beyond? Sure. Uh, a little hard to pin down exactly, uh, you know, how this all happened, but I had finished uh, my last uh, gig as executive director of the Parliament of the World's Religions, and uh, the last day of our last event was October 20th, 2015 in Salt Lake City. And I had a couple of uh, resumes uh, floating out there. I came back to Chicago and uh, I got a call from Brian Cressy and I didn't know who Brian Cressy was. And he said they had a, an addiction treatment center that they were opening up, so it was a startup. And I, I come from the for-profit uh, sector and I have a lot of experience in, in startup uh, organizations. And uh, so I, I said I would be interested in talking to him. And I happened to have my daughter in the car at the time, and I was dropping her off at Haymarket okay. and, uh, for recovery. Uh, and she, he said, well, how about if we just meet today? And I said, well, I, I haven't shaved for a couple of days, and I'm in my <laughs> jeans. And he said, well, better yet. Come, come right over. Okay. So uh, I said, well, I have to drop my daughter off. So I dropped my daughter off, and I went over there. I, I, I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning when I went up. Very impressive office. I was just so impressed by it. I didn't think I would experience that, but uh, uh, Brian was there. I met with Brian, and uh, immediately I was uh, impressed with him. Uh, he just has kind of a, such a peaceful aura about him, yeah. and he's just relatively selfless. He wanted to pay a lot of attention to who I was and uh, you know what I stood for and what was important to me and so forth. And we had some extremely meaningful conversations in a very short period of time and I was uh, fascinated with what the position might hold. Did he say how he found you? Um, I had evidently applied uh, someplace online. Okay. I, I don't even really remember that, but sure. he, he found me somehow. So uh, we, we struck uh, uh, a deal uh, shortly afterwards and I, I came on almost immediately and then, wow. and then all of this happened. So obviously, above and beyond, for those who don't know that are listening, is a very innovative and I'd say a pretty large departure from often traditional addiction treatment. So can you tell us a little bit about the program and how it's different from a lot of the other options out there? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, that I self-disclose quite often. I come from Alcoholics Anonymous myself. I've been uh, in that program since July 22nd, uh, 2005, and I still go to meetings uh, right now. I came into this with the idea that 12 steps was, that's all I, I really knew. And I think it was the second week I was here, I met Terry London. And I didn't know Terry London knew uh, Brian. Brian said, I have a, somebody I'd like you to meet. And so I, I met him and I, I thought he was unbelievable. Yeah. I'd never met anybody like right, him. Right. And I suggested awesome. Terry be on the board and that we bring him in to work in the organization. I was so enthusiastic. And then I found out later that he, he had uh, quite a history with the Cressy family that he, he had known them, but I didn't know that. So uh, we uh, started uh, this idea that Brian had uh, uh, brought with him is that it wouldn't just be AA. There would be other things. AA has a very high fallout rate. Mm -hmm. So we uh, looked at smart recovery. Terry introduced me to that. REBT, Terry introduced me to that. And I just took kind of a, a deep dive into all the different addiction methods. I began reading books 
I have an hour and a half each way commute every day. I still have that commute three hours a day. So I started reading books. I started reading books like crazy. And um, so I've read about 60 books now. And um, we just started experimenting with different uh, methodologies. And so now we have, uh, we have smart recovery. We have very authentic smart recovery. Dr. Tr Thomas Horvath has uh, visited us and endorsed us. Uh, I've been asked to speak at the Smart uh, Recovery Meeting in, in Tempe, Arizona, uh, coming oh. up here in September. So I'll be a speaker there. I sit a, a, on a subcommittee on the Communications Board. Um, I be, believe very deeply in Smart. I think we have very uh, authentic Smart meetings here. It's our most popular program. Uh, we have AA that we also offer, a more traditional program that I still believe uh, in. Still works for you know a small number of people, but it does work for them and works for me still. Uh, we have men and women for sobriety and our men for sobriety has grown into a group of about 40 45 men oh, wow and they didn't have enough time in an hour and 15 minutes so i asked for two slots so they're two and a half hours and there's a real adhesion a real uh, deep connection in that group between the men that attend it and we also have women for sobriety and we have rap so we really have four different uh, support mechanisms here and as we started looking at the importance that mental health plays in this whole thing, uh, we began hiring uh, counselors that have master's degree in mental health and, uh, and certificates in, in uh, substance abuse or substance use disorder or a CADC. Mm. So uh, we, now we, um, we assess for co-occurring disorders. So it's our philosophy, and this has evolved over time, as we've learned and seen what's worked and, and amplified that which has worked and we've eliminated or diminished that which has not worked, uh, we've evolved to the place where uh, we're looking for how we can help the whole person become more of who they intend themselves to be, to become navigators of their own destiny. And in order to do that, we found that helping them uncover their purpose in life, their meaning in life with Viktor Frankl using logotherapy, we've made that a required course. Uh, learning to Love Yourself, uh, Dr. Gay Hendricks. Uh, he's got a workbook that we use, evidence-based, that we use to help them love themselves. And we have a goals-setting class, which is taught by one of the most remarkable individuals I've ever met. Um, so those form the basis of the requirements. And then the rest of the, uh, of the uh, groups that we offer are uh, overcoming procrastination. It's a common yeah, problem <laughs> amongst our people. Sure. We have a new group starting on loneliness, loneliness uh, alleviation. We have a group on spirituality. We have a group on effective freedom technique, EFT. Mm. Uh, we have, a, um, uh, we have uh, uh, acupuncture and we have yoga, which are both by trauma-informed uh, facilitators. Mm. Um, you even talk about the brain spotting and all that? We, we have brain spotting, which is extremely unique and, and a, a, a really a way of getting to uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome where you don't have to language out the problem. So it, it, it really kind of transcends talk therapy, traditional talk therapy. And this is offered a little bit in Chicago, but we're big proponents of, of that as well. Um, so we have those. We have art therapy. We have music therapy. Uh, we have building life skills. Uh, we have uh, Move, which is taught by an American ninja warrior who's on NBC oh, wow. on Mondays nights. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we're getting people with diabetic uh, legs and uh, crutches and wheelchairs. We're getting them out doing calisthenics and working their, their body in a way that, that, that they don't have another opportunity to be able to do. 
And through all of this uh, and the individual counseling sessions that we offer through professional counselors here that all have their master's degree, have done their coursework for their master's degree, or are peer-to-peer counselors. Um, so we have peer-to-peer counseling here as well with our CRSS classes that we have. Um, they can actually uncover their purpose and meaning in life. They actually displace the existential vacuum that they're in and they become agents of change in their own lives. Yeah. I, so obviously, as you know, I'm a huge proponent of this program. I'm in and out of addiction treatment centers across the country, and this is the most unique and I think the most effective one I've actually ever been in, uh, which is why I keep coming back. And there's a couple of things I want to highlight that you were saying for people listening out there. Well, one that navigating your own destiny, right? Helping clients do that, I think is huge. So a little bit of background, you know, you guys just work with largely a homeless and indigenous population. You work with people from all over the place, but you're in downtown Chicago. That was kind of the original concept and purpose. So when Brian Cressy donated the money to found the center, you know, you were bringing in all these people that weren't being served by anyone else, right? That's right. I mean, I love it here because you've got art on the walls. It's a gorgeous setup. You have highly qualified staff. You know, it's hard to find that at a center that's you're paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month to go to, and here it's free and open to everyone. So that's amazing. And then the dedication of the staff, right? Like you said, you you spend three hours a day commuting, and you spend almost all that time learning and reading more about recovery and behavioral health and psychology. You know, and everyone here, I feel, is like that. You know, I haven't met a single person that's not dedicated above and beyond to to the center. So it's a lot of amazing stuff, you know, that I want to highlight for everyone listening there. So definitely encourage everyone to come in here, visit, you know, it's, it's an open door philosophy, right? Anytime that you guys are open, people are welcome to stop in. Is that right? That's right. We, uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying all those kind things. It, who wouldn't like hearing that? That's, it's really appreciated. Um, we uh, are different than a lot of other addiction centers. And incidentally, we work with um, just about every other addiction center in in the Chicagoland area, we have uh, close to 60 linkages, and these are robust relationships. Uh, we are not trying to be the best at everything we do. We all work together as a team. Uh, we do a lot of handoffs. We get a lot of handoffs from them, um, and so we all work together to um, to do as much good in the world as we possibly can. We are harm reduction with abstinence as an ideal goal. So we do have abstinence out there as something that we strive to achieve eventually. But uh, a little kind of interesting conundrum that we run into is a lot of times we'll run into abstinence relationships. And mm-hmm. an abstinence relationship, because we mainly our people are homeless or, or recently incarcerated. That's, that's the bulk of who we have because yeah. our services are free. So um, uh, we'll run into situations where because a parole officer is involved, we have an abstinence situation and they have to drop so they'll do a, a urine, uh, they'll give us a urine sample and we have a, a, a self-detecting cups that we use. It will indicate a dirty drop uh, that has contaminants in it. So we'll be uh, forced to call the parole officer, but we will always advocate for the client, hmm. uh, letting the, the parole officer know that they're probably in the best situation that they possibly could be in, that we do care for them. We do believe that there is a, they are getting better. So we're advocating harm reduction, even though we're in an abstinence situation and they will, we've never had one that didn't take our word for it. Mm. So we have an abstinence institution taking our harm reduction solution and accepting it. 
and, 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 and that's pretty amazing. So can you talk a little bit maybe more about that unique perspective that you guys have? Because it is very different from traditional addiction treatment. And now you're, you've come from a traditional AA background in your own recovery and you value that and you see the value, but you also see this other value in the programs that you're offering here. So can you talk just a little bit about how you're melding that philosophy, how other people see you in the treatment center space, that kind of thing? Sure. Um, I'll say that, um, you know, there, it seems like the, the AA and the non-AA camps uh, get caught up on the um, disease model and the definition of the disease model. And, and I, I have a pretty good understanding of both sides and why they feel that way. Um, we have been able to sidestep all of that by not engaging in that discussion. Mm. So um, we basically say um, our, our systems and our, our programs and our clinical protocol works whether you believe it's a disease or not. So if you don't mind having your discussions on the outside of the building, then that'd be really appreciated. So they can take whatever arguments or discussions they want to have other places. We just don't engage in it. We just don't. We won't say that we don't have any opinion, but we don't find it useful. And we've uh, been able to get the, we have people that actually go from AA over to SMART and back to AA again. Yeah. Um, I love that opportunity. You know, I mean, my big belief has always been that you have to provide multiple modalities and way for people to achieve their goals or achieve recovery, right? You can't have a one size fits all. And that's, that's what's very unique about the program here. That's what you guys provide. And I think it's a big reason why you're successful. I would say, at the beginning, we had, with the crowds that we have, the populations that we have, that have, have no assets, uh, very little property, and most of them don't have addresses. Uh, when they come in, at the beginning, we would uh, have an AA class, and we would ask them to uh, you know, choose a, a program. And we noticed that they all went to AA. We had mm -hmm. practically nobody in SMART. So we borrowed this uh, piece by Vince Fox. It's called a vestibule. Vince, Vince Fox has since passed away. And this was for an out or for an inpatient program. So we borrowed his methodology for our outpatient program. And we said, um, we came up with a little film. It's six minutes long. And we said, uh, uh, we explained AA and we, we epitomized pretty much or summarized AA as saying, you must admit you're powerless over alcohol. And SMART uh, deems the people powerful and able to overcome their addiction. So you have a pretty wide swing between those two. And then you have men and women for sobriety, uh, you know, somewhere in between those two. So we said, what you have to do is make a choice of where you'd like to go. And then you must attend another meeting, hmm. get a signature and bring it back to your counselor as proof, as evidence that you've done that. Okay. So after we went through this period and the AA room was filled and the smart recovery room was almost empty and we had a little sustained period of this, we found that they, as they went into the smart recovery meeting, they switched. Oh, they loved right. to go into smart. Huh. They didn't really want to go into AA, but they thought, well, AA, they had heard so they long, heard that was the only thing that works. Right. So uh, over about a three month period of time, uh, the condition completely reversed itself. And we ended up with everybody packed in the smart room and nobody left in AA. Mm -hmm. And of course, since then we've uh, listed on the AA site. Uh, so chicagoaa.org, we're listed as five days a week at 12 o'clock. And uh, so we get a lot of outside people to come in for the AA meeting, which they're open meetings. So anybody mm -hmm. can sit in them and, and uh, participate. But uh, most of the people here choose SMART, go into SMART, and uh, we, we have a, a packed room. Mm -hmm. In fact, we've had to transfer that, that uh, group over into a larger room. Oh, really? No yeah. way. 
So something that I think maybe the audiences can hear when you're talking is actually when you're not talking about specific groups like AA or smart recovery, you guys often don't even really bring up addiction. You're talking about, you know, helping people with their goals, helping people with life skills, you know, that existential vacuum, navigating, you know, your destiny. And so I would love to dig into that a little bit because that's what I think is very unique here. And that's where you guys kind of flip the script. It's not this idea that, hey, you have to stop drug use, you have to stop alcohol use, and we're focusing on you to stop. You guys are focused on where's your hope, where's your purpose, where's your community, and where do you want to go, and how do we help you get there? That's right. Um, well, in for example, um, we have uh, this uh, uh, group on purpose and meaning, and it's all built on logotherapy. Uh, Victor Frankl wrote 22 books. He was the third Venus School of Psychology. He was known to Adler. He was known to Freud. Um, and he's got this just terrific story behind him. So we have a group where when uh, people come into this, it's mandatory. They go to at least one of these classes, but they stay. They, they really like it. So we talk about Mr. Victor Frankl in his life, just briefly, what it stood for and so forth. And then we get into the techniques of how to uncover your purpose and meaning. And many times it comes down to just a very simple thing of reframing things that they're already doing. Just looking at it from a, a, an observer standpoint and teaching them how to be an observer of themselves and their behaviors. Uh, we teach them that they are not their behaviors. They are a full, whole person. And they can look at a behavior, but that behavior does not need to define them. For example, we don't call people alcoholics and addicts here. Those are their behaviors, and they're most of the time unwanted behaviors. Um, I remember one particularly meaningful uh, counseling session, because our counseling sessions here can be 15 minutes. They can be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, an hour. I think that whole thing of a counseling session being an hour is a billing-based concept or belief. I, they don't need to be sure. an hour. But this one began at our, our, we have kind of a long hallway here. It began at the kitchen, and uh, I was uh, stopped by an individual I just saw downstairs. This happened some time ago, who said uh, he, he has a fear. He said he has a fear. He's sober now, and he, when he sees his mom now that he's sober, he sees that she's very frail, and it scares him. And she wants to see him very badly, but he gets so frightened when he sees how frail she is that um, he doesn't know what to do. He has all this anxiety, and it makes him want to go out and, and, and drink and use. Mm -hmm. So by the we just walked down the hallway. So well, come on, let me say a couple of things about this. And this part of this comes from Irv Yalom's uh, Staring at the Sun. He's got a book on death and anxiety, and there were a couple of things that I had picked up from that. But there were three just little points that I brought up in the in walking down the hallway. So that couldn't have lasted three minutes. And he just looked at me at the end, and he said, you helped me. And it wasn't me that helped him. It was Urbulam and some of the other concepts that just happened to have, I happened to have learned about and passed on. There wasn't anything unique in what I said. But that conversation uh, has changed his entire life. He now goes to see his mother uh, four or five times a week, oh, almost oh. every day. He comes in to tell me how much, he, uh, how much she depends on him, how he loves seeing her how uh, her life has improved from seeing him and all the improvement, improvements he's made in his life. And that just tiny little thing, and this is multiplied over and over and over. All of us go through this here. Just the little period of time it took for me to just pass on some knowledge that somebody had passed on to me to somebody else, that it could have that huge effect, not just on him, but the people around him in his family. That's staggering. And that has given him a purpose and meaning now where he doesn't think about addiction. He doesn't think about other ways to equalize. He's got a natural way to do that through community, through other people. Right. So that's right. just a little example, but it happens all the time here. 
I agree. And I see it, you know, when I come in here and it is a big difference rather than kind of the concept of a day at a time and constantly worrying about not using, it's more, I don't even think about it anymore because I'm so focused on what I want to do and where I want to be, you know? So can you tell us some more about some of the success stories here? I mean, I see it every time I walk in, there's people that I met three months ago and then I see today, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, you've come a, such a long way in such a short time. Um, what you've said is so important, Nick. I, and I don't think we, we, I, we, I don't think we have anything written on this in the place. We have decals that I put on the wall of different sayings that we have that I, I think are inspirational. Um, and, uh, but this one that you just talked about a second ago, I have always felt that with AA, I'm running from the darkness. That if I don't go to meetings or I don't read the big book, um, it, it's going to catch up to me. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to forget what a monster I am, you know, mm. and I, still find myself saying things like that every now and then. It's a, a part of my recovery I wish I could shake because in here we try to get people running towards the light. It's a completely different concept. If they're running towards their sobriety and they're running towards this clear-minded, you know, giving, fulfilled uh, destiny that's out in front of them, the, the, the darkness doesn't even appear to them anymore. It, it doesn't have to be. And, and there's something that's just depressing about running from the darkness or hiding from the darkness that I don't think makes it sustainable because all you need is one moment of weakness and it will overcome you. Sure. Whereas when you're running towards the light, it's almost self-sustaining. It just seems like that's, that's how it was, it was meant to be. Um, we're surrounded by, by success stories here. I have people that come in here that I uh, see every day. I, I hug. I, I've never been really all that much of a hugger. I'm a hugger now. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I have to remember where they come from and what they were like when they came in here. It's just uh, astounding to me. We, we've come up with a program now of mentorship, and it's a place for these people to collect because they seem to have kind of a universal cry, and that's how can I give back. How can I get back in a way that it was given to me? And there are a lot of programs, including AA, that have this paying it forward concept, you know, of taking good out into the world and go forth and do, do good. And uh, so we have this, uh, uh, these vests, they're red vests, and they're put on by people who um, have decided that this is something they would like to do is become a counselor. And there's a, um, a, a program called CRSS. It's uh, sanctioned by the Illinois Department of Human Services, IDHS. And it's called a Critical Recovery Support Specialist, CRSS. And it requires, um, uh, requires self-disclosure on their part. So they do have to have a, a mental uh, issue, a mental health issue, or, or a substance use disorder of some sort. Uh, they have to go through clinical supervision of 100 hours. And they have to go through uh, 2,000 hours that they keep track of, of actually counseling. Well, we, I think we have about 15 people in this now. Wow. And they put these vests on and they are so proud of these vests and people are drawn to them because they come from the rooms themselves. Mm -hmm. They actually have more credibility than our regular counselors sure. have. And so we've had to actually uh, come up with a liaison between our regular counseling staff and them so they can recognize uh, severe disorders like suicidal ideation that could be dangerous. How do you recognize that and get them to a, a fully trained counselor? Mm. So we have this kind of robust relationship between the two groups, the peer-to-peer -peer counselors and the super educated uh, senior counselors where they work together and it just makes the counseling that much more accessible. And the CRSS people, I just spoke to um, 
Nanette Larson, who is the inventor of this, who works in the Illinois Department of Human Services, she was so fascinated to hear that somebody's doing this. She'd yeah. never heard of this before, that they've made arrangements to come in here and study what we're doing sure. between the CRSS people and the regular staff, because usually they operate independently out in the world. They, don't, oh, they haven't yeah. seen them, how they come together, and yet we have this system here. It seems to happen. I don't know. That, I mean, what I love about you guys' program, you mentioned before, is you're incredibly innovative. You're constantly trying different things, and it changes. Like, so many programs I go into, they've done the same thing for 30 years, right? And here, you guys try it, and you see if it works for your team. You see if it works for the people coming in. And if it doesn't, you drop it, and you try something new. So you guys are constantly improving. I mean, it's just, I, I just love it. I love it. Thank you. Um, so let's see. Let's talk a little bit about kind of what, a day in your life looks like. I know it's always different here because <laughs> every time I come here, you're doing something different and you know, you're running around things are going on, but um, to the best of your ability, can you talk of kind of what a, a typical day looks like? Sure. Um, well, I get up early, so I get up at 10 to four. I am usually in here by uh, 5.30. I seem to get my most um, productive work done. I write a lot. Um, I, I, I like to do that. I enjoy it. It's probably therapeutic for me to do it. Um, I get as much done uh, of that as I can, and then people start coming in early. I unlock the door for them to come in and get warm in the wintertime, get coffee. There's no reason for us to keep them out if, uh, you know, there's no reason for us to do that. So they'll come in, and uh, I'll notice probably around 6.30, maybe, or 7 o'clock, um, my back is to my door, so people will start... Uh, interrupting me from my writing and I still have this uh, this for for-profit uh, streak in me I guess it's just in my DNA I that irritates me so I'll uh, I'll listen to him and many times I'll say who is it you know they'll knock on the door who is it it's like can you give me your name you're gonna make me turn around um, and so they make me turn around more often than not and every time I turn around I can feel this transformation and they've got something they want to share with me they want to say you know, I had this conversation last night or I think I saw my, my, my kid for the first time. My kid's been trying to say this. I finally heard them. Or they'll say, we had the first night we didn't argue at home last night. Or, you know, some things is just so important to them. And whatever I had going on before I turned around just melts. It just vaporizes. It's just gone. Uh, it's kind of happening to me now as I'm talking about it because... Um, They'll say, okay, I didn't want to bother you. And I'll say, no, no, come in and sit down. Tell me more about it. And it just seems like that's, uh, that's how this life was meant to be, is sharing with one another and just paying attention and showing up on each other's radar. And I think sometimes it seems like I do my best work, healing work, when I don't say a word, when I can just sit there and meet their eyes and yeah. listen to what they have to say. And you can see that it's important that they're showing up in somebody else's world. Um, it's like their, their existence is in my mind and I'm, it's like we're sharing something that's very difficult to articulate, but it's so special that neither of us want anything but that. And they'll, they'll wrap up their story and, uh, we'll hug I, again. I do all this hugging and, uh, and then they'll, they'll go off and then I'll turn around and I'll start to do something else and then I'll get another interruption. So my whole morning is kind of filled with interruptions and if I, if I end up where nobody's giving me any interruptions, then I'll realize I'm, it's not time for me to do this. This is either evening work or morning work, and I'll get up and just go in. I don't get very far down the hallway, and people are stopping me, and, and it seems like I have, 
I always want to make myself self-important. I'm always trying to add value where it's not needed and uh, <laughs> insert myself into things where I don't belong. And uh, I get just get defeated by the people that are just smiling in the hallways. We celebrate uh, smiles here. And I caught a guy last week that has emotionless. It's almost like he's lost any kind of motor control over his facial muscles. He just come in and I saw him smile in the hallway and I wouldn't let him get away from me. I was so happy and he couldn't, he started grinning and he couldn't stop smiling. And it was just so special, you know, we celebrate smiles here. And so I'll find myself in a classroom uh, doing something. We have a lot of meetings. We have a lot of people that are curious about what we're doing that support us. Uh, so I'll give a tour or two or three in a day. Um, I usually spend up uh, time talking to the people that work here. Um, they're susceptible to, um, to um, compassion fatigue. Uh, burnout is a big problem in our industry. So we have taken uh, concrete steps to make sure that we can recognize uh, traumatic residue when it's being picked up by the, uh, by the people that work here and to take as many steps as we can to alleviate that so that they, uh, they don't have to walk around with the burden of all this accumulated right. PTSD. And it's so important. I mean, how many treatment centers do you walk into where you can tell the staff are burned out, they're jaded, right? And even if they started off compassionately, they just, it just gets to you over time. So I, I love that you guys have that focus on your staff and making sure that it doesn't happen as much as possible. That's right. And, and in those other places, it's unintended. Right. You know, I, I saw that with my own daughter. She, she's been in a number of these uh, units in, in Chicago, and I've seen it from the standpoint of a parent. And, and it's very uh, angular, very unfriendly. And, and these are good people. Uh, they have good intentions, uh, and they are doing good. They just um, have been affected by this trauma the same way the clients. Uh, it's almost yeah. like it, it is a communicable, communicable um, uh, phenomenon you know, yeah. that passes from one to the next. So we do our best to be able to catch that, to recognize it, to support each other, and to make sure that we have uh, methods of being able to dis uh, dissipate it. Right. So w we are a vicarious trauma-informed organization. That's the title I've given us. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Well, it's so important because there is, you know, when you're in this space, you tend to be dealing with the worst of the worst, really. I mean, the people that are able to kind of get a hold of things on their own or have great support networks, they don't end up coming into a treatment center, right? They find other avenues or, you know, other people help them out. And so you get the people that really are at the bottom, you know, of their lives and that's all you see. And so that starts to become what you think is the norm or the standard. And then you see people come in, come out and it gets frustrating. It's hard to stop that cycle unless you have I think support of the organization and that understanding you know that hey we're actually just dealing with a small subset of you know a population where everyone else is doing all right <laughs> that's right that's right yeah. Stan was talking about that today we had a board meeting and Stan Peel was bringing up some things about this uh, this one group that seems to be more susceptible than anyone else but a lot of them have just been ground up by the recovery machine I'll call it and they've just been through the same thing over and over. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, there's a, a thing called, uh, uh, called relapse justification. And I think that happens even during the recovery is the, the relapse justification begins as kind of a mental process that's built into it. And they might be good for two weeks or 30 days. And then it just uh, is almost like a, a, a nerve, uh, just a, 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 an automatic reaction 
where 30 days is up and it's time to drink again and go through the whole thing. And mm. um, there's one guy that I'm talking to on the phone now who's been through uh, detox 24 times. Wow. And uh, he's counted them all. And uh, he said his time with us was the longest period of time that he's had. Uh, he had almost a year here. He's never had wow. that long since he can remember in his adult life. And, uh, you know, he had a, he had a weak moment and uh, this is what happened to him. But uh, I, not enough attention has been paid to them and they're just not used to being, to being listened to. So, mm -hmm. you know, everything kind of conspires. It all seems to come together and those that can't use this can use that. And those that pe people that don't belong in this group can go in that group. Yeah. And so they have enough alternatives that they can kind of follow their own inner calling to go to where they need to, right. to get, get what they need. You know, I mean, Terry and I were talking about that in the other interview. And so you mentioned Stanton Peel as well. Those are two other interviews that if you are listening to this one, I encourage you to listen to those two as well and find out more about the clinical aspect as well as, you know, Stanton's very research-based, um, very strong, I think, belief in this program and why that is. So those are going to be on the website as well as on our social media posts. Please check them out there. And I think it's important to mention that we haven't even really talked about it yet, but you guys are open to anyone. Anyone can come in and tour. As you said, you do multiple times a day. So if you're in Chicago, if you're in the area, call Above and Beyond Family Recovery Up. Come in. Check us out. You don't even need an appointment, though one would be appreciated. <laughs> um, or you can go to the website, A-N-B, just the letters, A-N-B dot today, and find out more about what we do. But we're always looking for supporters, volunteers, people who want to work here, or just learn about the program. I mean, you just had um, someone coming from Huntington, West Virginia, right? I mean, basically the overdose capital of the United States, unfortunately, right now. Um, heard about what you guys are doing and said, we need to see what they're doing because it's working and it does work. I see it. Everyone sees it that comes in here. You see how successful a lot of the clients are. Um, so yeah, I mean, just to tell us a little bit about maybe that experience about having someone from Huntington come in and why, and what do you think you can provide other people who visit? I don't always see the outcome of what happens when people come in here, but I do get the, um, of course, their interactions as we walk through the place and we talk about the programs and so forth. And we're in a very, very beautiful environment. Uh, it mimics a, a restoration hardware. Um, we have high ceilings. We have a, a lot of uh, uh, decorations. We have a lot of art. We, uh, it, it's a place that's very non-clinical. It's very warm. It's very inviting. We get a lot of comments on that. People yeah. are not expecting that when they... When they come in and there's a walkthrough on the website at anb.today, there's a, a, a Google walkthrough where you can actually take a look at the facility. Myself, having, having worked in here as long as I have, I see the beauty in the programs and, and the transformations that take place. So I see less of the beauty of the, of the actual structure and the furnishings. I see more beauty in the, in the way that we interact with the people that, uh, that come in here. So I'll walk them through the clinical protocol what we do, we are a walk-in, so that's an important aspect of what we do. Uh, we uh, encourage people to come in when they have this window of lucidity. They're thinking rationally for a moment and they're tired of what's happened to them. We say, get down here right now and we'll take care of you. And we have put together a, an organizational structure that's built to be able to take uh, you know, extreme loads whenever they appear. Um, we have qualified people that can take uh, drop what they're doing and, and step into to um, be with these people as they come in at any time. So um, 
as we walk through and explain what we do and so forth, uh, I am constantly met with astonishment. It's, I really like it. I, I remember when I was astonished, you know, at the very beginning, looking at all of this and what we were putting together. And so um, I ask for their input as we go through it. You can see little pieces that they'd like to borrow. I end up with a lot of frustration from them saying uh, things like, we could never do this. Uh, we don't have a way of doing this. How would you bill? I, I think a lot of the other systems are built mm -hmm. around the billing. So it's billing first and then what they need to do to get the billing, mm -hmm. which leaves a lot of gaps, yeah. uh, you know, levels that don't match up. The continuum of care is, is not complete from beginning to end and so forth. It's nobody's fault. It's just how the systems were built. Yeah. But they can see that this is a continuum of care that really follows the human spirit, the human mm -hmm. being. And uh, it, it looks after their well-being from, from one side to the other side, left brain to right brain. It's, in, it's inclusive, not exclusive. And as they see these things and make comments on it, um, I, you can see that they're, they're moved. Uh, many of them do come back. So we have a lot of people that um, have heard about this through other people. Um, this one particular that came in from Huntington, West Virginia, we've had a number of people that have flown in now from other parts of the country. Um, came from uh, another board member who had made a recommendation in New York City and from somehow New York City it made its way down to Huntington, West Virginia. And this is the attorney that represents the city and we had a wonderful conversation and I can, there are going to be a, f a further involvement with us. I don't know where that is right now because it was a recent contact. But um, it's our intention to take this and package it. We have everything put into a protocol so that everything is written. We have everything manualized. We have curriculums for all our courses. We have supporting evidence and booklets. So uh, we're going to be opening a second location on the south side of Chicago. We're going to see how that goes, work the imperfections out of it, and then we're going to make this available so that any other um, organizations that have, pick up an interest that would like to look at what we do, we'll make that available for them to be able to uh, install. And what we're interested in is a, a faithful recreation of what we've put together here. So it's not just pieces that are being used and uh, maybe not to the fullest of their ability as, as a unit. We're looking at making the unit available. We don't know what that will look like, but profit is not a motive here. Uh, all we want to do is be self-sustaining and do our best to uh, offer to the United States and to the world the best um, solution for addiction treatment that, that uh, exists. That's great. On top of, I think, the compassion that you and everyone else has here that's so evident all the time, your background is, I mean, you were for-profit operations, and so, yeah, I mean, everything's operationalized to a high degree, far above and beyond what I see at some of the other centers um, that we work with sometimes, uh, just because they don't have that background. Maybe they have a clinical background, they don't have a business background, right? So, very excited to see this expand. Now, obviously, to have that happen, you guys need funding, and you're completely funded by donations and some insurance billing, right? But not really. Um, so... How can people get involved? How can people support? Well, there's a lot of different ways people can get involved. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a uh, volunteer director, director of, pro of uh, volunteer programs. And so to, uh, we have all, all kinds of things. We have story capturers, people that will come in and capture the stories, the success stories of people that are, are in the system right now. That It's a very engaging um, uh, process to go through. They're so proud of uh, their story and for someone to actually sit there and capture their story, we've got a story database that we keep all these stories in. I don't know of another story, based, uh, story database in the United States. Uh, we have gardening, we have counseling, 
Uh, we offer music lessons, uh, piano lessons, guitar lessons. Um, we have just all kinds of ways that people can volunteer that will fit with whatever their skill sets or, or desires are. Um, so that's one way. We have a fundraiser coming up. So any way that people could get high net worth individuals interested or institutions or the companies that they work for or the companies that their friends work for uh, to take a look at what we do, examine it, allow us to show them what they do, give them a tour, uh, go to our website and look at it. Any way that they could, we're a 501c3, so all of these are tax deductible, all of the gifts that would come to us. Uh, any gift is appreciated, any gift of $20, $50, $100, any amount is, is very much appreciated. So they can volunteer by donating their time to us, they can volunteer by donating resources to us. So you have that gala coming up, right, which is one of your biggest fundraisers of the, of the year. Uh, can you give us some more information, like where do you find information, what's the date? Sure. It's November 2nd. It's a Friday evening. begins at 6 o'clock. It's at the Drake Hotel in the Gold Coast Room. Um, we our, our last one was at the uh, uh, Art Institute, and it was, it was fabulous. It was a great time. Um, it's a paddle raise. The information on it can be found at, um, at a&b.today. And there's a, 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 a tab, a pull-down tab, where it says join us. Uh, there's a tab that says uh, fundraising galas. Uh, Christopher Kennedy is our speaker, and he's phenomenal, uh, a well-known author. He comes from the Kennedy family, an addict himself. Uh, and he's got an amazing story, and he's going to be our, our keynote speaker. And uh, would love it if, if you uh, would, would join us there. Yeah. I encourage anyone to support Above and Beyond. They do amazing work here. And if you just come in and see it, you'll, you'll see for yourself. I mean, if you can't get here to Chicago, obviously it's, it's out of the way for some people. Just call, check out the on, you know site tours, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We share these stories um, that the clients and the staff give here. There, there's a million ways to engage, right? So I, this information has been incredible. I really appreciate you taking the time to be able to sit down and I hope that others have learned a lot from it, but I know that they can learn so much more by getting more involved. Um, is there ways or what's the best way to kind of get in contact with the center? Should they contact you? Is there a general center number and email address that you should use? Yeah, you can. Well, best thing to do is call it. So the number is 773-940-2960. Um, the email address would be info at anb.today. Go to the website, info, or I mean, uh, www.anb.today. And uh, you can take a look at what we do and see if uh, it stirs you, see if it moves your heart. And uh, write us an email, give me a call directly, ask for Dan. I, I talk to a, a lot of people every day. I never get tired of it. I never get tired of it. And if you don't hear back from me, it might mean I didn't get the message. Just yeah. call me back. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of days here where all the time that I have is devoted to uh, stimulus. All I can do is re react to stimulus. I, I really don't get a lot done that I plan to get done. And I don't right. think that's unlike a, a lot of that's other people that work in the nonprofit right. industry. Right. But if I have not called you back, just call me back. I don't mind that at all. You can call two or three times and say, Dan, usually I'm pretty good at getting back, but I get right. back right away. I'm a yep. very much a do it now guy. Right. So if you don't hear something back pretty quick, just give me a call back. And uh, I'd love to welcome you down here. I'm very proud of it. And I'd, I'd love to take you on a tour. And I'll offer that to anybody who comes in and asks for one. So Great. Well, is there anything else that you want to mention before we finish up? No. I, thank you for uh, this interest in what we do. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, it's really important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. To all our listeners out there, please reach out to them. Come tour the facility. It's great. Uh, and everyone have a wonderful day.